So um, something kind of historic happened yesterday. We elected a new bishop, Reverend Dr. Diana Akiyama, native of Oregon, a priest from the Diocese of Hawaii, was elected on the second ballot to become the 11th bishop of the Diocese of Oregon. I have not yet met Diana, but I watched the interviews and the walkabouts with great interest, and I can say without hesitation, she will be a great bishop for our diocese. We offer her our congratulations and we pledge our support. Speaking of bishops, this past week, a number of us got emails from someone who had stolen our current bishop's identity and was trying to get us to buy gift cards and send them to him. Our office at the cathedral was flooded by calls from people asking if this was for real. And of course it was not. It was a scam. We know it was a scam because we are Episcopalians. In our tradition, our bishops do not, as a rule, ask for help. Nonetheless, as the scam proved, we Episcopalians are eager to offer our help for our bishops. Many of us were so moved by the idea that the bishop was asking us for our help that we almost had to be physically restrained from running down to the store to buy gift cards. That's a beautiful impulse, even if it does make us more vulnerable to con artists. Because, you know, whether our bishops ask for it or not, they really do need our help. They don't need gift cards. They need our encouragement and support and prayers because their jobs are impossible. So as we congratulate our new Bishop Diana, let's also do whatever we can to make it safe for her to ask for help. These times in which we live do not feel very safe, do they? Just this morning, the news reports that a man was shot and killed in downtown Portland last night. The details are not yet released, but our thoughts and prayers go out to the man's family. The right to peaceful assembly is a bedrock of our democracy. Whenever people are denied that right through violence and intimidation, our democracy is threatened. These fundamental freedoms of democracy are being tested, not just here in Portland, but around the world. About three weeks ago, the Chinese pro-democracy activist named Jimmy Lai was arrested by the Hong Kong police on charges of violating their new national security law. He's facing a life sentence. In an interview on PBS, Mr. Lai was asked if he was resigned to spending the rest of his life in jail, his answer really caught me up short. He said, you know, I'm not worried because if my life is about myself, it's meaningless. Only when I detach from myself and think about my life as about something bigger and not about myself, only then does my life become meaningful. And that keeps me going every day, he said. I don't know if Mr. Lai is a Christian or a Buddhist or an atheist, but his words had the effect of scripture on me. They sparked a kind of gut check 
in me. If my life is about myself, it's meaningless. Only when I detach from myself, only when my life is about something bigger, does my life become meaningful. I found myself asking once again that tough question, what is my life about? I mean, I can rattle off the things I care about, the things I worry about. I can talk about the people I love and the causes I support. I can even revert to those wonderful churchy slogans about living for Christ or the cause of the gospel. But these days, when we're all consumed with the virus and the election and the economy and climate change and hurricanes and Black Lives Matter, when we're so consumed with the daily news, or rather, when we become such anxious consumers of the daily news, a lot of us are really struggling with what does it all mean? Some days I find myself in these repeating loops of complaint and worry and fret. I'm angry and I'm anxious, and sometimes I just feel completely paralyzed by all of it. And then I reflect on the arrest of Jimmy Lai, and it all seems to come down to that old evangelical chestnut. If I got arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? Which leads me to this gospel passage for today and to reflecting on the meaning of the cross. The other day, as I was thinking about all of this, I overheard a woman lovingly tease her husband. She leaned over, she patted him on the knee, and she said, you're my cross to bear. <laughs> her remark was completely innocent and sweet, but in light of all the very real crosses that people are picking up these days, it kind of made me wince. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've said the same thing many times. I've referred to my chronically sore back as my cross to bear. I've sighed and rolled my eyes over some minor problem with my computer and said it's my cross to bear. But I don't know, somehow that really feels wrong now because our cross is not some minor pain or frustration. Our cross is not some little speed bump on the way to Whole Foods. Our cross is a radical, life-altering choice. It's a choice to love something far bigger than ourselves and to love it so well that the suffering that is sure to be coming with it counts to nothing. Almost 40 years ago, I came home to Minneapolis from Boston where I was living, and I announced to my family that I was going to get married to an African-American woman I had met in Boston. My mom was thrilled. She clapped her hands together and she said, oh, Maddie, this is so wonderful. Now we'll have a Jew in the family, because my brother at the time was dating a Jewish man, and a gay, and a Chinese, because my other brother had just married a Chinese woman, and now a black person. Oh, it's just fantastic. That was my mom. My dad was a little more reserved. He pulled me aside and he said, but what about the children? I didn't know how to answer that. What about the children, I said. Well, he said, they're, they're going to have trouble. It won't be easy for them. 
And then my grandma, my dad's mom, she was there and she joined in. She said, what about your career? You'll be throwing it away. Nobody will hire you if you have a black wife. I could only think of one thing to say. But grandma, dad, I love her. I didn't take their concerns seriously because I knew that whatever suffering might come our way as a result of this love, it would be our suffering born of love. We would, go, we would go through it together. The suffering of a black woman, the suffering of a biracial child would become my suffering as much as I was pri privileged to bear it. I would gladly, happily share in their suffering for the sake of that love. You know, meaningless suffering is very difficult, almost sometimes unbearable. But suffering in the cause of love? That's an entirely different kettle of fish. Love redeems our suffering. Love makes our suffering count as nothing. Love is that bigger thing that Jimmy Lai was talking about, whether it's love for democracy or love for one's family, love for God. Love gives us the strength to bear the weight of our cross. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a young pastor, a rising star in his church in Germany in the 1930s. And then in 1939, he came to the United States to study at Union Theological Seminary in New York. And everyone around him could see what was happening in Germany. His friends begged him to stay in New York. But his love for his people in Germany was too great. He couldn't stand the thought of being separated from them while they were going through such horrors. And so knowing full well the dangers that awaited him, he moved back to Germany and joined the resistance. A few years later, he was arrested by the Gestapo and was executed in a concentration camp. Bonhoeffer knew more about the cross than any of us can imagine. And this is what he said about it. He said, to go one's way under the cross is not misery and desperation, but peace and refreshment for the soul. It is the highest joy. To pick up the cross is the highest joy. This is why I follow the path of Jesus. Because when Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and be killed and on the third day be raised, and then when Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me. You're setting your mind not on divine things but on human things. What if Jesus had accepted Peter's argument? What if Jesus had said, you know what, Peter, you're right. Nothing's more important than my own survival. There's no love greater than one's love for oneself. What if the signers of the Declaration of Independence had decided not to risk their fortunes and their lives for the cause of democracy? What if Martin Luther King had given up when he received his first death threat? What if Jimmy Lai had decided to buy a mansion in London 
and leave his people to contend against despotism. Then the devil would indeed have won the day. How did they find the strength to pick up their crosses? The answer is simple, through love. It's love that lifts the burden of the cross. It's love that gives strength to the exhausted young mother who's been up all night comforting a restless baby. She has never known a love so deep and so pure. It's love that helped John Lewis bear the burden of being beaten within an inch of his life, turning him into one of the strongest voices for justice in the United States. And it's love that has turned George Floyd's murder into a moment of reckoning for this country and the world. What is your cross? To ask that question is to ask, where is your love right now? What is the love that draws you beyond yourself? What is the love that makes your life worth living? Is it locked away for fear of the pain that it will bring? If so, have you lost your perspective on your love? These are the questions the gospel raises for us. These are the questions only we can answer for ourselves in the private sanctuaries of our hearts. These are the questions we need to keep asking as our lives and our times become ever more anxious and fraught, as the devil himself tries to paralyze us with lurid scenes of chaos and fear, these are the questions that will guide us through. So I say this, don't ever try to pick up your cross by your own strength. Let your love pick up your cross. Let your love bear its weight. Let your love shine in the darkness and give you strength. And when the darkness feels like it's closing in, let the love of this community support you. Be like our idealized bishop. Ask for help when you need it. Let your love call out to love. Let us connect our love to yours. Ask for what you need. Give yourself over to devotion and prayer so that your love continues to deepen in you. And then let that love carry you, complete with your cross, all the way home. Amen.